Today I want to talk to you about a passage that happens in Mark chapter 12. So it's after the triumphal entry, Jesus entered the temple and we read in chapter 11 that he comes and clears out the temple and does those things. We'll look at those stories through the week. But this morning I want to talk about one of the parables that Jesus tells while he's in the temple, teaching them from Mark chapter 12, 1 to 12. It's one of my favorite parables of Jesus. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. The priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. This is a wonderful parable, a wonderful story, and has much to teach us, and it's Jesus' way of uh, explaining what he's all about, his parable. Remember, a parable is a, a short story with a purpose. The purpose of the parable is the purpose. And the side issues are the side issues. The main thing is the main thing. It needs to be memorable, memorable and it needs to have a point. That's a parable. So Jesus is telling them this story to tell them a point and to make it memorable. This is a memorable story for me uh, because for some years I've had a house with tenants. I've been a landlord. And so it's one of those things that you, as, as a I'm not a rich man, but my house is all that I have as an investment for my family. And so the tenants that I put into the house, very important that we put the right people in so they care for the place and pay their rent and look after the building and don't burn the place down or tear up the floorboards or do things like that. So for this is a parable that speaks to me in my, in my own personal life. I've been concerned about the tenants that I put into my house. But Jesus is talking about the tenants that God has put into his world his nation, the nation of Israel, and also the wider world. And so Jesus is telling this story to talk about the people who are in charge of his, his people, in charge of his nation. And so there's some stories here. He built a wall around, he dug a pit for the wine press, he built a watchtower, he looked after the place, he gave it to some farmers and moved to another place. Now, obviously, God can't move to another place. Uh, he's everywhere. But for the purpose of this story, there needs to be some distance between the owner of the property and the farmers. Otherwise, the story doesn't make any sense. So that's one of those things with parables. We need to remember what the point of the story is and not focus on the incidentals that get us to that point of the story. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. He had some rights here. There's, it's his world. It's his nation. It's his people. And so God has something that he should get out of this place. Respect or worship or honour, whatever we want to think of that as being. But instead, the people seized him, beat him, 
and sent him away empty-handed. And as we read through the scriptures, we find this again and again, that God sends messengers, he sends prophets, he sends people to come and speak to his people and call them back to how they should live, and they treat him shamefully. Or here they kill some of them. The story of how Isaiah was killed, and tradition tells us that the terrible way some of the prophets were killed and treated, and the way the prophet Jeremiah was treated, stuck in a well and all the rest of it. Some of them they beat, others they kill. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. And it's at this point that we need to say, well, God keeps on sending prophets and keeps on sending messengers. So again, the point of the parable isn't that God has run out of people to send. That's not the point of the, par of the, of the true gospel. But the point of the parable is, finally, God says, I'll send my son. They will respect my son. I remember once uh, with a, a, a new Christian, a, a young lady who'd become a Christian, and I was working through some of the walking through a Christian explained course with her, and we got to the point, got to this parable, and she said, she said, this man's an idiot. I said, what do you mean? This man, he keeps sending these messengers, he keeps sending these servants, he keeps sending, and then he says, I'll send my son, I'll respect my son. She said, this man's an idiot. Why on earth would he think they would respect my son after they've killed all the rest? And I went, yeah. In many ways, the love of God to us is absurd. The fact that God would keep on reaching out to us, keep on sending us prophets, keep on sending us messengers, keep on talking to us, and then eventually to send his beloved son amongst us. Yeah, in the eyes of the world, that's a pretty dumb thing to do. The love of God is backwards compared to how the world thinks of things. So maybe God shows his love in this, that he will even send us his son. The tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. Let's grab this guy. Let's knock him out. It'll all be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. And there are parallels here uh, between the Easter story and the things that happened to Jesus on Good Friday and throwing him out of the vineyard. So we have that old song. Uh, there is a green hill far away without a city wall. Without means outside of the city wall. Where the dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. They took him and they killed him. They threw him out of the vineyard. And there's going to be consequences for this, Jesus says. There'll be consequences for this. Will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. The kingdom is going to pass from that old uh, religious system into a new system, a new way of doing things, a new way of faith and relationship with God. The vineyard will be given to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? And Jesus quotes from the songs of ascent, the songs that the crowds have been singing as they've walked up to Jerusalem. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? Of course the Pharisees and the teachers and the Sadducees have heard this passage of scripture. They've just heard the crowd singing it the day before. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvellous in our eyes. This picture that the one that God has chosen is the one that the world has rejected. The one that God has chosen is the one that the religious system has thrown away. The Lord has done this, and it's marvellous in our eyes. 
I've got a little parable that I'd like to tell now with some chairs that tells a similar sort of story about God's amazing love for us. Join me on the stage. This is a way of telling the gospel story in a parable. Jesus used stories all the time. So this is a parable called the gospel in chairs. I'm going to tell the story twice and at the end we'll talk a little bit about the differences. I'm going to tell the story first the way it's mostly told in evangelical circles, the traditional way. So it goes something like this. In the beginning God created everything. He created the world, he created the universe, he created you and me. So this chair represents you and me. Because God is a good being of perfect love, he created us to have a relationship with him. A face-to-face -face relationship. So he could talk to us, we could talk to him. But because love requires freedom, it requires free will for it to be true love, there has to be the opportunity to say no. So God made us with the opportunity, the possibility of saying no to him. And that's what we did. The Garden of Eden, we turned our backs on God and went our own way. And throughout history, again and again and again, we went our own way. Cain and Abel and the story of the flood and so on and so on. People turning their backs on God. Because God is not just God, not just love, but also a holy, wrathful, just God. He turned his back on us as well. And so God turns his back on sinful humanity who have turned their backs on him. This goes on for a long time, but then eventually God sends a part of himself. He sends the best part of himself. He sends his son. That's not really explaining it properly, but he sends himself to earth to show us what God is really like. To show us what God is really like and show us how we should be living. And also, not only that, but to pour out his wrath upon his son. So eventually on the cross, as Jesus dies, the wrath of God is satisfied. And the Father turns his back on the Son. He turned his back on us. But all of God's anger and wrath and fury is poured out into Jesus on the cross. So that after that, God's anger towards us has been turned. So that he can now express once again his love for us. And by showing us what God is really like and showing us his incredible mercy, we can turn back to God and have this restoration of relationship with Father and Father God and the children, the created beings, looking at each other and living together in love. So that's one way of telling this story. Here's a slightly different version. Perhaps the same. Biblical value is the same, but still the same. Let's tell it this way. In the beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth. He creates everything. He creates you and me. And because God is a being of love, he wants a relationship of love with his creation. And so he makes us in such a way that we can love him and he can love us, and we can have fellowship together in love. But because love requires freedom, it requires free will, it requires the ability to say yes or say no, God gave us the ability to turn away from him, which we did in the garden. In the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned and turned their backs on God. 
And so God, because God is holy and just, he engaged with us. He said, it's okay, I love you. And he, even after Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, God met with them, spoke to them, helped them, blessed them, and did the things necessary to save them and to redeem them. And yet people still continue to turn their backs on God. So in the story of Cain and Abel, Cain turns his back on God despite God saying, please don't do this. And so God engages with him. Even after he's murdered his brother, God says to Cain, I will protect you. I'll help you. I'll bless you. I'll be with you. And throughout the ages, as humanity has turned our back on God, God has said, I love you. I'll send you prophets. I'll send you people to guide you. I'll give you laws to teach you. And again and again and again, as people turn their back on God, God pursues them. God engages with us. He keeps on sending his people, his prophets, his messengers, his, his laws, his rules, his guidance for us. And eventually the people said enough of God and God said, okay, well, I can't do anything else. I'll send you into exile. I'll let the Babylonians take you away. But I'll even in that, I'll engage with you and say, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. And then again and again and again, humanity turned our back on God. And God kept on engaging, and kept on chasing, and kept on pursuing. But people kept turning their back on God. And so God, in a demonstration of his true love, sent himself, sent the best part of himself, sent his son to live amongst us on earth to show us what God is really like. And this was scary. Because the God that we met in Jesus was completely different to the God we'd understood from our religion and our history and our way of looking at the world. He loved unconditionally. He was incredibly gracious and incredibly kind. The God that we've told stories about for generations didn't really look like this Jesus. And so he freaked people out. But Jesus came and showed us what God is really like. And this was challenging to the religious establishment. This was challenging to those people who said, no, you need to work hard to show God that you love him and you need to keep all the rules and do all those things, which no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't do. And Jesus came and said, no, I, God loves you and accepts you and wants you to be holy and good. But that his love endures forever. Love and this upset the religious people so much it upset you and me so much it upset the world so much that we killed jesus we hung him on the cross and we poured out our wrath on him all the while the father was looking on in love and grace and mercy three days after jesus was hung on that cross he rose from the dead to show us that this war between heaven and earth could now be over forever if we would just turn back to the Father. If we would just turn back. He, the Father, had always loved us, always had his face towards us, always wanted our best. And Jesus came to show us that in a real way. Because there's more to the gospel than this. The gospel goes on from this to say that actually God doesn't just want face-to-face -face relationship with us from a slight distance, but in fact,
that God wants to live in us, with us, to help us, to guide us, to show us what it's truly like to be one of God's children. This is the good news. This is the gospel. The good news of Jesus can be really upsetting to some people. And so we read again in Mark chapter 12, the last verse there. The chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. Here we have um, three different political factions, the chief priests, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the elders, those of just of, of political and economic influence. And so these three groups, which normally fought against each other and were at war with each other, all realized that Jesus was telling this parable against them as they looked for a way to arrest him. But Jesus has been coming with this massive crowd. They're afraid to do it. So they left him and went away. They looked for their opportunity. And that opportunity will come on the day of Passover when everyone is in their own homes doing their own things. That's when they'll grab him. That's when they'll crucify him. This wonderful good news of Jesus is that God keeps on chasing us. He keeps on pursuing us. Even when we turn our backs on him, even when we reject him, even when we go our own way, God keeps pursuing us. And the point of Jesus' parable is that he even sent his son to show us what God is really like. I urge you today, do not reject Jesus. Do not throw him out of the vineyard. Do not try and live your own life independent of the teachings and the way of Jesus. Give your life to him. Follow him. Come to him in repentance and faith. Ask him to be in charge of your life. Give God that which is due from the vineyard of your heart. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you today for your amazing love for us. Father God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus into the world to show us what you are really like, to pay the price for our sins, to set up your kingdom, to show us your love. Father God, we thank you for Jesus today. Father, I pray if there's anyone listening to this who is going their own way, who's running their own life, who thinks they're smarter than God or can, can manipulate you in some way, Father God, I pray that you would speak to that person through your Holy Spirit. Draw them to a place of repentance and faith. Help us, Father God, to trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Father, I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes and dwells inside those of faith. Father God, draw us closer to you. Help us to love you and trust you and serve you in response to what you have done for us. Pray this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, as always, if there are questions or feedback from what I've spoken about today, please contact me. I'm available on email or through the phone. Get in touch with me. I'd love to share with you some more. Thank you. God bless you.